0: Thank you, Greg. I uh I am overwhelmed. I can't even tell you how I have dreamed through the years for God to bring people into this place and to hear the word of the Lord and then translate it into their gifting, whether that's music, whether it's teaching and sharing in a classroom, whether it's developing the concepts that God has regarding stewardship and taking it into your business. My heart has been to, to build a congregation of people who have a vision for the kingdom of God and are not bound in any one degree whatsoever to the limitations that are in the delta. And that are in everything that is around us here. When everybody else curses it and says it's a bottomless pit. I believe that God's raising up some people that the book of Job literally calls one in a thousand. Those who can have a vision. I'm sorry I'm trying to keep from getting emotional this morning. But but those who have a vision in the spite of darkness to turn on some light and to light a candle. And stop cursing the darkness and the difficulty that is around us. But to let the light of God shine that is on the inside of us and take that through our giftings and through our callings and do what Greg just did. And it's not just about magnifying that. It's about every one of you catching a vision in here this morning and taking the gospel of God that is comprehensive into every area of your life and realizing that no matter what you walk through, He is your strong tower. God wants some interpreters who can take this message to this generation, who will with a heart that is beating with the love of God, a heart that breaks for the things that breaks the heart of God, uh, a heart that has the heart of the Father in this parable that we've been talking about this morning, and I, I sure didn't plan getting up here and starting it in this kind of a flow, but I believe the Spirit of God's in this room this morning, and I believe... I believe that if, you'll, if you will buckle down and tighten your seatbelt and you will give me the next 30 minutes of your life and give the Holy Spirit your undivided attention today, I, I'm confident I can say that he will speak to you. He will change you. you. All you need is a word from God because every word from God has power in it to, to literally perform and to declare and change your circumstances. When God spoke, everything had to obey. Light He said, light be, and what happened? Light was. So this morning, the word of the Lord that's coming is coming into your circumstance and into your life. Out of chaos, God is going to bring order. Out of darkness, God is going to send light. Come on, where there's lack, he's going to send provision. If there's sickness, the word of the Lord to you is be healed, because by his stripes you are what? I'm going to jump right into it this morning. This is number three in this series called The Prodigal God. Luke 15, last Sunday I told the story, and so today, just for the sake of, of some continuity, I want to just take as little time talking about the story and just give you the story and then jump in some, into some points. We've got these up on www.victorywired.com. If you've missed the messages, then catch up. They're free. doesn't cost you anything. Log on to our church website, and uh, you'll be able to grab those. We're excited about that, but I'm not going to take time to review today, just jumping in. Here we go. Jesus continued. There was a man who had... Two sons. Everybody say two sons. sons. Now, this is why this is not just the parable of the younger son or the lost son singular. Jesus is talking to two different kinds of people in the crowd. Everybody say people, people. People, people. All right, he's talking to, on one side, he's got some folks that are tax collectors and sinners. On the other side, he's got literally in opposition to them, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So it's sinners and religious folk. Everybody say sinners sinners and religious folk. Here we go. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me. Everybody say, give me. Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property. Everybody say, property. Divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Everybody say, in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. And go back to my father. I love the King James. He says, I will arise and go to my father. Say that last line with me. I will arise and go to my father. NIV says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me. Everybody say, make me. Now notice the difference between leaving the house and coming back. As he left, he said, give me. When he came back out of brokenness, he said, what? Make me. Now that's the cry of the father's heart that that will happen in every one of us. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Would you bow your heads with me please this morning for a word of prayer? Gracious God and Father, we thank you for this day. We acknowledge in your presence that we desperately need you in everything that we do. We cry out to you, O Lord, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, you are the only teacher, and we ask you to open our ears and open our eyes. Give us ears that hear and understand, eyes that see and perceive, and hearts that are transformed by the power of your presence. I can't do anything apart from you, Jesus. We all can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Move in this service today. Move in our hearts. Lord, we pause right now, and out of fresh gratitude, we thank you that we can come and do what we're doing right here. We remember the persecuted church. There are millions that are in danger, in jeopardy of their lives this morning. Last night on the other side of the world, they huddled into a little hut with a small wrinkled piece of the book of Colossians. And Lord, they read that in near silence and they wept and cried out to God for change to come to their nation. And God, I pray right now that you send revival to America. God, we're so blessed. We are so abundantly blessed. And God, sometimes we just have no gratitude whatsoever for what we're experiencing right now. God, be with the persecuted church. Be with those whose lives are on the line right now in Jesus' name. Strengthen our brothers and sisters, we pray. And all of God's people said amen Amen and amen. I would ask you this question this morning. Who do you think, to whom is Jesus directing this story. I had the opportunity probably 17, 18 years ago to do my first Monday morning Bible study that I conducted with the men at that time that were at the 8th Street Mission for Jesus Christ. And I went in and knowing that it was a Bible study and had been told that the men that were there were, for the most part, most of them were believers in Jesus Christ. They'd come and out of the brokenness of their lives, they'd made a new commitment to follow Jesus and walk with him. And so I went in with that mindset, knowing that I would still at the close of it, present the gospel the way I try to always. But I went in for the purpose of strengthening the believers that were there. That was my primary focus. I, I opened the book of Ephesians, particularly, I remember, and I just began to talk about the, the new creation realities And what God has done in changing us. And that we weren't the same old person with another chance, but that we were a whole new kind of creature. We were in Christ. Our identity was no longer in our past in Adam, in which all die. But now our identity is in Christ. The Bible says that all that are in Christ, they're made alive. Scripture says that we're raised up with him. We're made to sit down with him in heavenly places. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And I was just unfolding some of those amazing truths that are found in the New Testament. At the close of that teaching service that morning, we had a couple of guys who made new commitments to Christ, and a number of the guys came forward. Some of them were leaders at the local mission down there at 8th Street, and one of them said, you know what? We are so thankful that you didn't come in and teach the parable of the prodigal son. I said, what do you mean? He said, because we hear it at least once or twice a week down here. When preachers come and visit, they feel like everybody in here needs to hear the prodigal, and we've heard the prodigal so much It's just the the particular mindset that the church and the pastors in the area have that they think, hey, this is a bunch of low life, no good, trashy folks, and they just need to really hear about this younger brother that can make his way back to to the father. And I thought that was so interesting because many times we do in that place sort of assume the role of the elder brother and without even realizing it, we sort of look down our noses. As the church... Uh, 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 The the sin patterns and the addictions and the behaviors in which people are struggling really don't want to be trapped in it. Nobody sets out to get, get stuck in an addiction. The devil's MO, his modus operandi, is he tempts you, and then when he draws you into it, he deceives you, and he says, no, 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 you're, you're better than this. You can take it. You can hold your liquor better than your buddies can. You, you, you know, just don't, don't, don't stop with one joint. Go ahead and just smoke you another one and have a good time, because after all, you know, you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty straight. You can take care of it. You can, you can really be on top of things and in control. How many of you know how the devil lies to you? And, and he draws you deeper in, deeper into that pornographic habit and and where you're spending money and and it's sort of now eating up your finance and it's destroying not just your thought life but it's beginning to encroach on every other thing around you and that's what the devil does he tempts you and then he deceives you and then once he's got you trapped fully (laughs) come on buddy I don't know where you are but I like it (laughs) I love that once he's woven his web of temptation and deceitful lies around you, then he takes you before the Father. And that's his main job is to accuse you and tell you what a filthy, low-down, low-life worm, totally unworthy, just a piece of junk fill in the blank. How many of you know that Jesus Christ came to die for every one of us low-down, filthy pieces of junk? And when you realize that and you're a new creation, then you realize that's what you used to be. It's not what you are anymore. And you don't have to grovel in the past because now you've got a whole new future, a future and a hope where he, his thoughts towards you are thought of, thoughts of peace and to prosper you and not to harm you. Come on, somebody. He will perfect that which concerns you and he will finish what he started being confident of this very thing. Mm, somebody help me a little bit in the house today. The younger brother, the lost younger brother is, Jesus is talking to sinners. Everybody say sinners. Sinners. You know what this meant in this culture when this young guy did this? This was absolutely unspeakable. He went to his dad and he basically said, dad, uh, I I really don't like living here anymore. I'm, I'm tired of this. I was really born for bigger and better things than this. Uh, And and I, I just can't, I'm not cut out. I don't like dirt under my fingernails and I just can't get out here and plow the back 40. And I think that, uh, you know, I've just got some gifts and some, I've got a destiny on my life. I've got to pursue God, you know, dad. And, and so he basically says, I, I want you just to just go ahead and give me my inheritance and let me just get out of here. And in those days, in that time, the property of a house or a homeowner or of an estate was tied up in land. And it was not just, you know, some stocks and bonds and you couldn't call your local Edward Jones agent and say, hey, well, you sell so many of these so I can get this son out of here. The father basically says, okay, and he puts some property up for sale. It's losing standing in the community in this particular time because the land was the family name. The the younger brother was actually asking him to sell the farm. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but the way inheritance was set up in this particular Middle Eastern culture, which was by and large built on concepts of honor and respect and always deference to authority. When this young man approached his father and said, Dad, give me my inheritance, he was basically saying, I really wish you were dead because I want what's mine. I want to get out of here. Now, how many of you realize what a slap in the face that was for the younger brother to even approach his dad and say that? In this particular time, when honor and respect, and as I already said, deference to authority, is the driving overarching cultural mechanism that keeps all of these relationships working together, that father had every right, and it was the expectation of the community that he would drive him out of the family with with beatings. But the father chose not to do that. The father decided to go ahead and sell a piece of property. And the way the inheritances were set up in that time is that because this man had two sons, the oldest son, everybody say, had a birthright. Say, had a birthright. The birthright was that he got twice as much If they're two sons, the property's divided into three parts, and the oldest son gets two-thirds, the youngest son gets one-third. So they've got, let's say, a 1,000-acre farm, and they sell off 300 acres. So the young son takes all the proceeds. He goes out there and he squanders it all in all kinds of wild and riotous living. First of all, the, the, the father's friends down at the club absolutely cannot believe what he did because nobody does that. Well, if that had been my son, he'd have been getting up off the ground. I'd have broke his leg. (laughs) How many of you know what I'm talking about? The amazing prodigal aspect of the father is that he didn't do what everybody expected the father to do. That's why Jesus talks in this story about the tremendous compassion and the love of the father and his long suffering and his patience and how he did what everybody else didn't expect. You know, people all the time ask the question, they said, how can a loving God send people to hell? And I just turn it back around and I'm going, how can a holy God not? We all deserve it. I desperately, I am, I am depraved down to the very radical portion of my life, down to the very roots of who I am. I, without Christ, I am depraved. And because he has come in and changed me, thank God I am a new creation in Christ. Anybody else in the room have that testimony? Come on. So the young son asks the father to do this, and he does it, and he sends him out. And you know the story. He squanders it, and it's not until he's out there and he realizes, he gets his bank statement in the mail, and he's actually NSF. He tries to do the debit card down there at the bazaar, pick up one of those girls gone wild, and he couldn't, his, his debit card wouldn't go through. And I don't want to offend you, but how many of you know that's what was going on? Can, can we be a little bit real? We're not being crass. We're not being ugly. But, but I, I just want you to realize there's a whole lot of stuff going on here. And it wasn't until all of that ran out that all of a sudden things began to change. And it just so happens that it coincided at a time when a famine had hit the land. And there, there, was, there was no food stamps. There, there, there was no government program to bail him out. There was no opportunity. Nobody was giving him anything to eat. And he went and hired himself out to a man who sent him out into the field to feed the pigs. And he's out there in the pig trough. He is born into a family of of, of standing in the community back at home. But he's found himself after he's prodigalized, after he's wasted, after he's lived extravagantly, way beyond his means. And he's wasted it all. And it's in that moment of brokenness when all of a sudden he remembers, you know, the people back at my daddy's house who work for him. Had plenty to eat and food to spare. Ain't no sense in me staying in this kind of predicament. I'm not going to stay here. I will arise. I will set out and I will go back to my father. And I'm going to say to my daddy, daddy, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Forgive me and make me as one of your hired servants. Now, this is not just a servant who lives on the property, who basically earns his keep, his room and board, but this is a hired man. This is a man who has a trade, who does something very specific, and he gets paid a wage, and he's basically got a plan. He's going to go back to the father, and he says, make me as one of your hired men, he says, because I'm going to try to pay this back. If you'll just forgive me, I'll make restitution. And you know the story. You know that he never did actually get the whole plan out. The father saw him a long way off, but I want you to see what takes place here in the pig pen, It's in the second blank here. I want you to fill in the power of brokenness. Everybody say the power of brokenness. There was something that took place in that pig pen that changed his heart. It moved away from a give me mentality. It it, it transformed him from a mentality of beggar mentality. To where he began to recognize that he needed to change. He needed some transformation. He needed for the father to make him. Not just give him, but for the father to make him, to change him. In that place, in the pig pen, is when he said, I will arise. And we just zoom back, fast forward again. Back to the scene when the father is on the front porch. And he sees his youngest rebellious son coming up way out in the distance. And the father, you know, he basically hikes up his robe... And let me just tell you something. In those days, children ran. Women might have run. But grown men, especially men of an estate, men of standing in a community, did not run. And and, and this is what he did. He he pulled up the, the skirts of his robe. And matter of fact, this is what happens in the Bible every time it says, gird up your loins. Because it's literally talking about the outer robe, and men would gird up that robe and tie it around their waist. And they had an undergarment that hung down a little bit, maybe around the knees. And so they would gird up the outer robe and they would tie it around their waist, and then they would take off running. And this is what the father, the respected man in the community, did. He was so anxious. His his heart had been for restoration for his son to come back. But the day he saw it happen, he gave up all sense of propriety. He laid down every sense of convention and tradition and all of the stuff that everybody's expectation had laid upon him as a man of standing in the community. And he picked it up and he ran to his son. And the Bible says he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And he kissed him. And he kissed him. And all the son basically got out of his mouth was, Father, I've sinned. And he said, Okay, fine, fine. Servants, go get me the best robe. Now, do you know what happens when, basically, in this point here, when the father said, Get me the best robe? That was his very own robe that he had brought and put and wrapped around this returning, once rebellious son. And it was a sign. He was basically saying, I'm not only forgiving you, but I'm reinstating you. You were dead to me. You were dead to me because you basically stood up in the family and you said, give me my inheritance, which was basically saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Let me have what's mine. Let me get out of here. I'm, I'm born to be wild. I told you, you don't have no idea what I'm filtering up here. <laughs> anyway. And so he, he comes back in repentance. And he lays all of that down and the father immediately says, bring him the best robe. That's the father's robe himself. And he says, I want you to put a ring back on his finger. And the ring signifies family identity. It was not just an ordinary ring. In in every house and every owner of standing, they would stamp the family crest into a little bit of hot wax. And that's how they conducted business. Instead of signing a signature, it would be the family crest stamped into a, a, a legal document. What he was saying was, I'm not just accepting you and forgiving you and giving you my robe to show everybody that you're back in the family. And guess what? You're a smith again. But I'm, I'm, I'm not just accepting you and forgiving you, but I'm, t- I'm reinstating you with some economic authority because I trust you. I believe in you. I have invested my life in you. And yeah, you blew it, but I'm going to tell you, that's not who you are now. That's who you used to be. Come on, somebody. I don't care. I don't care how deep the the, the, the mire of sin that you've been in. If you've got a little bit in you this morning, they will say, I was born for something bigger than this. All I've got to do is get up and say, I will arise and go to my father. God is standing, looking over the porch of heaven, and he's ready to run to every one of you in this room this morning. If you will just take the first step, he sees you when you're a long way off. Mm. And I want you to know he's ready to run and fall on your neck. That's... The next speaks of the will. The father was falling on the rebellious will of the son and breaking that and changing that. And with a kiss of restoration, receiving him back and putting a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. That isn't just because he walked up with bare feet, but in this particular day and time. Some of you might remember from the book of Ruth. When there was business conducted, they would stand in the gate of the city. And when the land was exchanged, they would take off a sandal. And it was in that exchange of of the sandal, literally, when Boaz made the claim for Ruth. Boaz, our heavenly redeemer, who is a picture of Jesus Christ, he had to take his sandal And he had to buy and say, I am the kinsman redeemer here and I will take her under my cloak. And that's very same way. God, our father, Jesus Christ, his son, has unsandled himself and he's put it on your feet so that now you can walk a whole new kind of walk. You don't have to be bound in a walk of sin anymore, but now you can walk in righteousness. You have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Even in the middle of the battle, you're walking in some shoes that have a peace brand label on them, honey. Well, I love him this morning. Does anybody else? Something happens when we come in brokenness. Something happens when I decide to say, I, I can't keep living like this. The Bible says, and this is not in the notes, Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise years and years ago when they would package talcum powder. You you realize that when you put powder on your body, now, you know, some of you little skinny folks don't really have to do this. (laughs) But if you're a big guy like me, you kind of need a little glide. you got these big tree trunks, you know, and I'm out on a seven-mile, you know, you get... Anyhow, and, and... Literally, what you're doing is you're applying stone. <laughs> Did you know that, that powder is actually contrited stone? Did you know that contrite means to grind down? It means to make fine. It, it, it's to pulverize or to, I'm going to make up a word, powderize. <laughs> Say that with me like that, powderize. <laughs> and, and years and years ago, I remember as a kid seeing it says contrited it was on some of the particular brands, contrited, and it was literally used to peer. It doesn't anymore because it's it's such an old English kind of word. It's a Bible word. But what basically God is saying is if if you will break yourself, if you will come to a place of brokenness, a place of smallness, if you will lose this sense of, 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 of largeness and pride and you will humble yourself before me and, and you will get down low in a, in a place of brokenness and contrition before me, let me tell you something. You will get the attention of your heavenly father so much more quickly because the sacrifices of God, he's not after your money. He's not after your skills more than anything else. He wants your heart and he wants a heart that's broken before him. It has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And you know what? You can have everything and still have nothing. You can have nothing, but if you are broken before God and recognize your bankruptcy before Him and your brokenness, He makes everything available to you with the best robe and a ring on your finger and a new pair of sandals on your feet. On somebody are you hearing me in this house this morning? He's ready to restore. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34:18. Listen to Isaiah 57 verse 15. For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. How many of you want Jesus to move in with you? How many of you you might be in the middle of a boat in the middle of a stormy sea? All you need is just Jesus to come walking and get in the boat with you. Everybody say, "Jesus, Jesus, get in the boat with me. You know what all he needs is somebody that cries out in brokenness and contrition. He who dwells in a high and lofty place, the Holy One says, I will come and dwell in order to revive the spirit of the lowly. And it's just about brokenness. It's about contrition. The lost elder brother is a picture of the religious. My last point this morning, the picture of the religious. He has the appearance of all things right. He's always been there. He's always done the right thing. He showed up for work. He's kept his word He's never disgraced the family name. He never did hang out with those low-down, no-good tax collectors and sinners. He's all about appearance. He's been in church every Sunday. He's a good, he goes and attends a good Bible preaching one. He defends the inerrancy of the word. Oh yeah, and it better be a King James only church too. (laughs) He serves on the deacon board. He's a card-carrying member of the moral majority. Oh, yeah, and he's voted Republican in the last 15 elections. If that touched you a little bit this morning, you might be a Pharisee if. (laughs) And the whole thing is he kept a record of all that. Aye, all these years... The danger of religion, saints, is that it keeps score. Our righteousness, let me make it incredibly personal. My righteousness is nothing but a stinking, low-down, filthy rag. Let me translate for that, that for you in the scriptures. It literally means a minstress cloth. It is a filthy, it was the filthiest garment in the mindset of the the Middle Eastern mentality, literally my righteousness, all of my attempts to try to please God, and that's what this guy is serving up to his father, and instead of out of respect approaching the father and saying, Dad, what's up with this? By the way, the dad had to leave the festival, the feast that he had conducted, which, by the way, no respected father of an estate or of a manor in a community should ever have to leave to go out and beg another son to come in. He disgraced his dad. He wouldn't even come in. He was so angry because the wild one had come back home. I truly believe that Jesus is not nearly as concerned about the sinners who are actually coming in their brokenness and repenting. But he is desperately hurting and crying out for Pharisees who think they are righteous and don't even realize they are desperately in need of a Savior every bit as much as the younger brother is. Amen. Come on, somebody. The way he talked to his father was hard. It was haughty. It was all about what he had earned. And even after the father's pleading, he refused to go in. This was absolutely unheard of in this culture that was built upon and based upon everything that has to do with respect and honor and deference to authority. I was walking Thursday morning in prayer, and crying out to God. I'd been time, spent time in the Word. I'd put these notes together and I just said, God, I, you got to touch me. i got to hear your voice. And I walked and jogged a little bit and walked actually about six and a half miles all around Old Marion, back down through the neighborhood where we live, And I played over and over and over and over and over the swords to Matthew West's song, Going Through the Motions. Listen. He says, this might hurt, it's not safe, but I know that I've got to make a change. I don't care if I break. At least I'll be feeling something, because just okay is not enough. Help me fight through this nothingness of life. Everybody say religion is deadly. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. I don't want to spend my whole life asking, what if I had given everything instead of going through the motions? That's what the elder brother's doing. It's all about appearance. It's all about facade. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus was directing the full impact of this whole story toward the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. Let me translate that for you. Everybody say, church folk. This is what scares me. It's so easy to come in brokenness and God instigate transformation in my life and turn around and get into the flow and learn to speak Christianese and garb myself and all of the right things that you guys expect me to say. Yes, preachers have to deal with this. Because I'm going to tell you something. Reputation and what people expect and religious expectation is deadly. It will stifle the very life of God. It will suck it right out of you. And I want you to know this morning, that's the reason I desperately try to regularly stand up before you and go, look, I'm still in process. I, I struggle with stuff. I cry out to God. There's stuff in me that didn't finish yet. There's stuff in me that God's still working on. That's where I want you to know that we have to have grace for each other. I'm not talking about being in and out in some kind of crazy, ridiculous open sin or immorality or something like that. I'm just talking about just wrestling with my attitudes and just keeping peace in my house. And thank God I've got a wife that's loved me 25 years and put up with me. If you think I've got all my ducks in a row, you ought to hang around and hear them quack sometime. <laughs> you want to know what the real bottom line of this was? And I'm, I'm finishing. The real bottom line of this whole issue was that it was about the money. The older brother, Junior, was ticked off because dad had sold some property off and he'd given it to him. He'd sent it out and been gone a couple of years and wasted it all on squanderous living out there. Then he comes back to himself and desperately cries out because of his brokenness. And the dad just accepts him. And the son's going, you're out of your crazy, blanking mind. He's losing it. He's Dad, you're so crazy. This is stupid. What are you thinking? You want to know why the elder brother was upset? Because he realized that once he had put that robe back on his younger brother's back, That now if dad died tomorrow, my already reduced inheritance is going to be reduced again. He just came back and he took something else from me. And he's all about Jerry Maguire. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. And he's upset and he's ticked and he's aggravated and he's frustrated. Not even realizing that the father has the ability to restore this one. And now with a family that's no longer in chaos, we've got... A leader here who's been broken and in his brokenness he's teachable that's one of the most precious places you can be in in your place of brokenness because you're open to hear from god when other times you've, you've got this brazen facade and this front up come on god wants us to be broken before him when we realize that even with everything we've got that we are bankrupt without him totally realizing that with family harmony restored and another potential leader who, due to his brokenness, was now teachable, the family stood to multiply their holdings and grow the family business, but Junior couldn't see it. I don't care if you were born in a church pew. It don't... Awful grammar. Look at your neighbor and say, It don't mean nothing. Just because you're here this morning does not make you or me, either one, a Christian. You've all heard this. It's tired, but it just makes the point better than anything I've ever heard. Going to church makes you a Christian about as much as standing in a garage makes you a car. That, well, a couple folks is the first time they heard it, and so that's, that's, that's worth it. All the rest of you were gracious and laughed at the preacher's very old joke. But does it just not communicate an amazing truth? just showing up here today does not make you a follower of Jesus. You have to make a choice to sell it all and give it to him and make him Lord of your life. And finally, I'm closing. It's not about proximity. Say that with me. It's not about about proximity. Does anybody know what the first question in the Bible that was asked by God? You may know what it was. God asked, the first question that God asked, who knows what it was? Adam, say it. Where are you? So this morning, I would just remind you that whenever God asks a question, it isn't because he don't know the answer. He is omniscient. He knows all things. When God asked Adam, you know what happened? Adam and Eve had disobeyed. They had broken the commandment of God. They basically had been told everything out here is yours. You can can have all of it, but just this one tree, this is mine. I have reserved it. It's literally in the Garden of Eden. It's the principle of the tithe. This is God's. That tree is mine. Don't touch it. That's the very same principle that God says in our lives by giving him first the tithe. It's it's the Lord's, and if, if, we, if we take it, then there's a curse that comes with it because it's holy, it's His, and when we honor that and we, when we obey that, when we give that to Him, then He says, because you've made that first portion holy, I will cause all of the rest of what you have to be holy, and I'll multiply it, and I'll put my favor and my blessing on it. And Adam and Eve disobeyed. They broke that concept of the tithe, that which belonged to God alone in the garden. And when they disobeyed, they were covered immediately, uncovered, and they immediately felt a covering of guilt and shame. What's the first thing they did? They went in what? Hid. And then they took some, what kind of leaves? Fig leaves. And they sewed them together because they tried to appear behind the facade of all of the other trees of the garden. How many of you know that religion will let you hide for a little while? It will actually make you think you're doing a pretty good job. You know, but if, if you remember Granny's apron, you know, man, Granny's apron did a real good job covering the front, but just whatever you do, is just don't ever turn around. <laughs> aprons, I, I, am I right or am I right? So they, they sewed aprons of fig leaves. Now, let me ask you a question. Who knows the only one kind of tree that was cursed in the Bible? Jesus cursed it. What kind of tree was it? It wasn't an apple tree. It was a fig tree. The fig tree wasn't bearing any fruit. The fig tree literally was a picture of religious Israel. Jesus said, in all of your Pharisaism, you've left me in relationship and you've got religion. Religion is deadly. Religion will kill you. Religion will destroy you. Religion will let you play a game because you can learn to say the right things. You can learn to look the right way. You can learn to do all the right mechanized robotic responses and have a heart that is far from God. It's not about proximity because the elder brother grew up. He was in the house with daddy, but he forfeited a relationship with him. I want to tell you this morning that when the younger brother with pig poop under his fingernails looked up to heaven and said, I will arise and go to my father. In that moment, he was closer to the heart of his father in a pig pen in a foreign land. Then the elder brother was staying in the next room in the same house with daddy. My heart is breaking this morning. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I have nobody. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not scoping the room. I don't have anybody in mind when I'm talking about this spirit of Phariseeism. I fear for myself. Because you can become a Pharisee in less than 24 hours. Because guess what? We've got younger brothers coming in here all the time. Every Sunday. In the last six weeks, we've had about 30 younger brothers come back and be restored and have a new robe put on them. And God's fallen on their neck and kissed them. And he's put a ring on their finger and sandals on their feet. And younger brothers don't always come in totally fixed. They have problems. And it's so easy for us if we step back and we don't even realize it. We forgot what God delivered us from just a few years ago. And all of a sudden, we begin to get a little judgmental and look down a pious nose at some of our younger brothers that are in the room. Let me just tell you, I have to wrestle with that. Let me tell you right now, my name is Michael. I am a recovering Pharisee. I have to wash in the water of the Word on a regular basis. I have to generously apply grace. Every one of us desperately need to know that it's not about proximity. And I would ask you the question as I close this message completely today. Put your name in the blank. Where are you? And the answer is not geographical. The answer is relational. God is saying to Adam, Adam, where are you in our relationship? We once went walking in the garden in the cool of the day, in the spirit of the day. We were connected hearts were one we were joined but something has separated us i want you to realize this morning that every one of us sin separates us from the purpose and the presence of god hear the word of the lord this morning everyone in this room has been separated from god by sin god is posing you the question your response tells more than just an answer Your sin may have left you like the younger brother with pig poop under your fingernails and everybody around you knows you're coming out of a mess. Or you know what? You may be freshly showered and fig leaf covered and sitting up straight and looking good in the room this morning, but still in desperate need as the the younger brother is. Just got a good looking religious front going on. And you know in your heart that you're far from God. Maybe you've been raised in church. Born on the pew, so to speak. God's saying, I want more than this, son. I want more than this daughter. I'm calling you to join yourself to me. Luke 5.32 says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. There are two entirely different kinds of approaches here. One is to put on the self-produced cover of religion. The other one is to take responsibility and call it what it is and confess it and get up out of the pig pen and receive forgiveness. All of this is made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If everybody would please bow your head with me this morning.